This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 219 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. How come it just, every week it seems like it goes lower? What do you mean? The number. What? Of episodes. It don't seem like it goes any lower to me. It does to me. I think you're thinking about the shorts where we're up to like the 600s. Maybe so. But hi guys. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. All right, Tracy, I want to say thank you to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Amen. Praying for you every day. Thank you guys for keeping us safe. We appreciate you more than you'll ever know. Also want to mention that obviously we tell everybody every week about the group and that how if you're struggling mentally, especially with depression or suicidal thoughts, that you can go to the group, and they're a very good support system. You can also contact us if you're having any kind of problems. If you're just really struggling with life right now, there's a lot going on. It's no shame in needing help and asking for God, help. I know. I'm about to reach out. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like some days, you know. And, and I do want to say um, tonight's episode, mm-hmm. I'm just telling everybody ahead of time, There is going to be a big portion at the beginning that does deal with suicide. So I just want to give everybody the heads up. If that's something that you get triggered by, you don't want to hear about, maybe fast forward a little bit through that part. But um, it it is a big part of the story that we're doing. So I wanted to mention that up front. And Tracy, if somebody's struggling, uh, obviously they can call the suicide helpline. Yes, it's 800-273-8255. Or you can give them a text at 741-741. How do you give them a text? Well, you just text. Give, I guess so. It just sounded weird when I said it. <laughs> Regardless, we are always here for you guys, day or night. Please, please, we beg of you to reach out because we all love you and we want to help you. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. It is the number one habanero-based hot sauce in the United States. Top 10 out of all hot sauces in the United States. You can get them at most of the major retailers such as Target, such as Walmart. If they do not have them at those locations, ask for them, or you can go to lyukateco.com and pick some up for yourself along with some cool-looking merch that they have. Yes, it's so good. Tracy, would you try it on this week? Um, This week, um, what did I try it on? Oh, I put some on my pizza again because that was really good. And then I think we had like some chicken, um, what do you call those things? Uh, Quesadillas. Yes, quesadillas. So I had that, and I usually put some guac or something on there. But this time I tried it just with that, and it was, of course, delicious. It was so good. I don't know. It's just got this extra little twang, or I can't explain it. It's just, it's just so good. I made egg salad, and I put yeah. a little bit, a little bit of the red in there, mm-hmm. the traditional red. 
So yeah, it was delicious. It's so fun to try it on different stuff every week. So yeah, I like using the jalapeno hot sauce in with my nachos. It mixes in good with the nacho cheese. So okay, let's get on to this story. Wow, that's all I'm gonna say. Oh Lord, well, I guess <laughs> I better say wow too because I don't know what's about. Well, we're gonna talk about the Sunshine Skyway Bridge in Tampa. Well, that sounds like a beautiful place. It is a beautiful place. So we've in the past we've done some random stories that involve bridges, but it's like part of a bigger story. Like they have, like what well, this one place might have two or three different legends or part of the folklore. And Crybaby Bridge is usually the ones you hear in all these places, and it's mm-hmm. always the same story. Well, a mom threw her kid off the bridge, or right. a mom threw her baby off the bridge. Which well, is all horrible. Yeah, it is, but it's always the same story. Every city, I think, has got a Crybaby Bridge. Yeah, so I'm sure. It makes it tough to kind of believe. But tonight, our entire episode is going to be about a beautiful bridge in Tampa, Florida, that is believed to be cursed. And by the time we get through, you're probably going to understand why people say that. Okay. I don't know what it is about Florida. Remember we did the, uh, what is it, the I-4, uh, which was the, the uh, freeway in Florida that mm-hmm. was built over top of uh, Native American burial ground, or I don't think it was Native American, I think it was just a family's burial ground. And, you know, that's supposedly cursed. There was all the different things that went on with that. We did an entire episode on that road, and now here we are back in, Tam- uh, in, in Florida, rather, to do a story about the bridge. So here we go. The Sunshine Skyway Bridge. This beautiful bridge draws the likes of tourists, photographers, even had some car commercials shot on the bridge. How about that? Well, that's good. Unfortunately, it is also attracted several people that are looking to end their lives. Oh, no, this is not good. There have been some adjustments made to the bridge due to the events that we'll discuss a little later in the show But the original bridge was actually built in 1954. In 1971, another matching bridge was put right beside it because they needed to accommodate the building traffic that was going on. So they had, you know, so they they had basically two lanes at one point, one lane going each way. So they built the other bridge. So they made two lanes going north, two lanes going Going south. south. Okay. So the question would be, why would a bridge be cursed? A big part of this is supposedly the bridge was built on top of a Native American burial ground from the Tocobega tribe. That particular tribe, by the way, is extinct. So there, it is. there are no more members, supposedly, of the Tocobega tribe. They believe that the curse would wreak havoc and torment anyone who violated their sacred burial plot. Thus, they put a curse on it. Some would say that this is just a bunch of BS, but we are going to discuss several different occurrences that have taken place on or underneath the bridge that could be considered, you know, just maybe coincidences or the results of a curse. So I'll leave you to decide. Hmm. Not just you, everybody. I don't want to put that kind of pressure on you. Well, thank you. (laughs) This will include an abnormal amount of suicides, ghost sightings, and a few tragic accidents. So let's start with the suicides. I want to start off by saying I don't have an accurate count of exactly how many suicides are taking place there. And some of this is because not all the bodies have been found. So if somebody jumped off the bridge mm-hmm. and nobody knew that they jumped off the bridge and they didn't find a body, I mean, you wouldn't know that that's what happened. They could be listed as a missing person or or who knows. That's depressing. 
I am going to speculate, though, that there have been at least 300. And I, I know this because when the, when the original bridge opened up, here was the first one. It happened shortly after. There was a maid that jumped off the bridge. Now, her husband tried to keep her from jumping off the bridge. He was grabbing onto her clothes and begging her not to leave him, but she jumped Aww. anyway. And then a bookkeeper in 1963, when he left and jumped off the bridge, he, he left a whole bunch of poems out in his car, and one of which was marked as his message to the world that he's leaving behind. So that's the that's the first couple. That's so sad. That I'm aware of. It gets worse. Well, anything's worse. So in 1987, there was a completely new bridge that was built, and as of 2012, 135 people had committed suicide just from 1987 to 2012. So that's not counting anything from the old bridge that was there from the 50s. Man, that makes my heart hurt. That's awful. In 1992. A matter of fact, on July 4th, there was a man who went through a divorce, and he was struggling, and he drove up to the top of the bridge. He parked his car. He tied a rope to his car and then tied the other end around his neck and jumped <gasps> over the bridge. And there, hung himself? Thus being the first person to ever commit suicide on the bridge by hanging. Oh, my gosh. So I was watching a video. Um, I was trying to prepare... A little bit for this. And I ran across the video. It's like a memorial thing. It had 95 people who had committed suicide from the bridge, from the new bridge. And all the video was was just, it would be like if you went to a funeral and they, and they have one of the memorial videos. Playing. Yeah. So it just had a picture of the bridge. And then it had a picture of the person. And it put their name <gasps> and the date that they jumped from the Stop. bridge. This video showed all 95 people that they found. And... It was about 25 minutes long. Wait, where do they show the video? It's on YouTube. Oh. So it's just something I ran across when I was researching this. But let me tell you what I found out. Looking at each one of these people, 95, I looked at every one of them. Looking at each one, some of them looked extremely happy. Some of them looked kind of sad. Some of them were, you know, the pictures that they had were some of them were some like really good occasions, like maybe a wedding or maybe a, you know, a dance or something. But some of the people were, you know, they just, they were happy. And the other thing that I realized about watching this is there were all walks of life. There was every nationality I could think of, every color I could think of, every uh, gender. I mean, it's just, and it just led me to really think that in this time that we're all going through, where, you know, it just seems like everybody seems to be against everybody else for whatever reason. Yeah. It's just looking at that and looking at Asians and African Americans and, and Hispanics and white people and, and just seeing all the people that felt that they didn't have anything to live for. And it just it just led me to sit there and think it doesn't matter who you are or what you're going, we all feel pain. And we all feel like there's no reason to go on at times. And it just, you know, it just really hit home to me that as as much right now as people are at each other's throats, whether it be for political differences or whatever the deal is, that we are all the same. And I just want everybody to take a second and just think about that and just and just realize it doesn't matter what color somebody is, what religion they are, what political belief they are. 
we all are exactly the same on the inside and just take some time to think about that before we make a harsh Facebook comment towards somebody that has a different opinion or something. Yeah, so I just want makes me cry. Yeah, I just I just wanted to bring that up because that was a very touching video. This is gonna not be a good show for me. All right, and the last little bit that I'm gonna touch on here on the suicide is two of these people that committed suicide was basically um, a set of teens. And they were in love with each other. One was 17, one was 16. And the boy's family was going to move away. And the boy and girl were not going to see each other anymore. And they decided to go up to the bridge and make a pact and jump. And the mom caught wind that the daughter was usually really punctual. She was 17. And she didn't make it home when she was supposed to at 11, so she started calling around, and somebody said, you know, has, last I heard, she said something about going to the bridge. So they went up to the bridge, and unfortunately, they saw the boy and the girl's name written in the concrete in the girl's lipstick. Mm-hmm. And then um, the next morning, they were able to find, pull the young girl's body out, and then the day after, they were able to get the 16-year-old boy out. I don't think I can make it through this, babe. <laughs> Well, we're not going to talk about that anymore. That's That part's over. But I thought it was important to get out at the beginning. Because all this is happening on this bridge. That's a lot of people to go to this bridge to to end their life. And that's, so it just seems like something is up, up there. It's also important to note two things. Not everyone who jumped died. And that the state is also trying some new things to try to protect people and to keep them from going up there with the intentions of committing suicide. So first, let's talk about one of the people who survived the jump. In 2002, a woman was, ironically enough, coming from church. She decided that she wanted to do this. She was dressed in a shiny black dress, black pumps. She apparently looked very nice as far as the way she was dressed. She jumped, but changed her mind as she was falling. Not a whole lot you can do about that. So maybe this was just some divine intervention involved, but regardless of the fact, she hit the water at a point that her clothes were completely ripped away from her body. This is uh, hitting water from that height is much like hitting concrete from my understanding. Luckily, though, uh, they were able to get her to the hospital in a timely fashion. She spent months in the hospital recovering from a broken back, two dislocated shoulders, ruptured bowels, and numerous cuts and bruises. But she did eventually make a complete recovery. There have been at least 30 people who have been talked out of jumping while they were up on top of the bridge. In 1999, six boxes containing emergency telephones were installed at the top of the bridge. And while not everyone feels the intention to use it when they're up there, they want to carry out what they're planning on doing, there have been some people to actually pick up the phone and be talked down. At one time, the state looked at putting up a fence uh, around up there, but they determined that the cost was way too much. But even more than the cost, the thought that it would the fence up there would cause a safety issue with intense winds and kind of make the bridge sway and stuff. So that was the reason they decided against that. So then they thought, well, maybe we'll just put some netting up there because that won't have the same issue and mm-hmm. it could fix it. But at the same time, there was a problem there with the danger to the birds in the area, getting hung up in the fence and stuff like that. So that is at least a couple of different options they had. Now in 2000, off-duty highway patrolman 
decided that they were going to start patrolling the areas up there, do full patrols on the, on the uh, bridge. And sometimes they would even just sit there with their lights on just to deter jumpers or at least be there if there were a jumper to try to talk them down. And they've been successful with that a few times. Obviously, there are still suicides that happen, but it has been cut way down since they started making the efforts. That's good. Now that we've got through the, the probably the hardest part of the show, let's discuss two major accidents involving the bridge in just a few short months. And both of these happened in 1980. Okay. This is the first incident, and it was on January 28th. The weather was, from everything that I've read, near perfect. It was a good, clear day. It was 8.24 p.m. The U.S. Coast Guard had a ship out there that was called a buoy tender. So I'm assuming, you know, we tended to buoys. I'm just going to go oh. out on them and assume that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was called Blackthorn. And it, it was going back to its home port in Galveston, Texas. It had been here for about four months doing a complete overhaul. Mm-hmm. So they were doing some kind of work on it. Now it was good to go, ready to go back home. And in case you're unaware, Tampa Bay is the seventh busiest port in the United States. So there's a lot going on there. The channel from Tampa Bay to the Gulf of Mexico is 43 miles long, which is one of the longest in the entire world. So it's got a bunch of different, uh, several ins and outs mm-hmm. of people coming and going through there. And some parts of these ins and outs and these channels are too narrow for two big ships to pass each other. Each other, yeah, at the same time, yeah. So the Blackthorn was only 180 feet long, which for some of these ships, that's not very big. The Blackthorn ship's crew noticed that there was a 605-foot tanker called Capricorn heading straight in their direction. Now, both of these boats were going full speed, okay? Yeah. Basically heading right towards each other. And I'm, I can only assume, from what I'm reading, that they both thought they could get through. You know, it's like they thought so they, they didn't had, even try to slow down or No, they, they both thought they were going to go side by side and had enough room. Yeah. It wasn't the case. They collided about one mile from the Skyway Bridge. Blackthorn got tangled up in the uh, much bigger Capricorn's anchor chain. Oh. And the Capricorn was not damaged at all because, of course, it's huge. But the ship's anchor ripped straight through Blackthorn's hull and split it wide open. God, that sounds painful. The Blackthorn capsized and within 10 minutes had completely sank. Dang, that was quick. Some of their crew members were able to make it out. Uh, through the Kind of weeded their way through the compartments even though it was upside down. And they made it up to the water which was filled with diesel fuel. And they were able to be rescued by a bunch of nearby fishermen and stuff that had seen it happen and rushed over there. Unfortunately, 23 men died aboard the ship. And that made this, which from my understanding, I tried to research it still today, the worst peacetime lost in the history of the Coast Guard. Wow, that's a shame. There's a plaque with all of the names on it that uh, of the men who died at the north side of the bridge. So, it's cool that at least did that. Yeah. Now, four months later, another catastrophe would happen. So keep in mind, this bridge is 4.1 miles long. Mm -hmm. It's meant to connect the shortest distance between two points, just like a straight line. So the way they do this, they take the two closest edges and they just built the bridge. Right. Okay, now that sounds really good from a standpoint of building a bridge, you know, the cheapest way to less bridge because you've got two, two points together. But what happens is by doing that is you have a diagonal. The water is at a diagonal instead of being straight across. That's true. Which 
the way that the, the way the bridge is placed, it makes the ship channel beneath it diagonal, which makes it hard to for these larger ships to pilot through there. The channel beneath the bridge is considered one of the most dangerous in the entire world because of this. Man. So May 9th, 1980, 7.30 a.m., the weather was horrible on this day. Unlike the other one, the weather yeah. was horrible. So even though it had not been forecasted, there were tropical storm winds. It was downpouring rain in the area. It was heavy fog, and they said near zero visibility. So this was the setting as a 608-foot ship by the name of Summit Venture crashed into Pier 2S of the Skyway Bridge. In just seconds, 1,200 feet of the bridge crumbled and splashed into Tampa Bay. Oh, my gosh. Along with that bridge came six cars, a pickup truck, and a Greyhound bus. Oh, my gosh. 35 people fell 150 feet to their death. Oh, my Lord. Like the Mothman. It's when the bridge similar, collapsed. Very similar. The only survivor was the driver of the pickup truck, and that's because his truck hit the ship and then went into the water. And somehow or another, that little variation is what made the difference. Mm-hmm. So the Greyhound bus had the entire top shaved off of it. The driver and 26 passengers all perished. An autopsy showed that most of them died on impact some drowned, but they were likely unconscious due to the injuries from impact. This is one of the worst bridge disasters in American history. So you got one of the worst bridge disasters and the worst um, Coast Guard yeah. disaster in four months of each other, All both of them involving this bridge. It took 15 days to uh, recover all of the bodies and the debris from what happened. The Northeast Bridge was turned into one lane, just like it used to be, uh, each way. And it stayed that way until a completely new bridge was opened in 1987. So what was it? It took him 80, seven, er, seven years. years, I mean. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. mm, terrible. I don't like bridges much. <laughs> now, as far as the bridge that collapsed, they ended up taking the entryway to both sides of that bridge, mm-hmm. and they just made fishing piers out of them. So now if you go there, there's a fishing pier on both sides. Okay, let's get into the paranormal stuff. And yes, there is some. So first we're going to get back, since we just talked about it, the Greyhound bus. It said that after uh, everything was pulled up, because they pulled the bus back out of the water and everything, they salvaged it. It said that after they salvaged it, they took all the good working parts off of it still, and they used it to fix other buses that had things wrong. Were the... This is sad, but were all people on the bus still? I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be hard to say because the whole top was ripped off of it. So, Oh, that's knows. right. Yeah. But if they had seatbelts and stuff on, they very well may have been. So anyways, this bus, they took the parts and they used it to re- repair other buses. The story goes that nearly all of the repaired buses from these parts burst into flames for no apparent reasons at different times. Man, this is cursed big time. There have been several different reports of a ghost Greyhound bus driving along the fishing pier that used to be the bridge. So there's a few different variations of the story. One of them says that the bus driver just stares straight ahead and the bus just keeps going straight until it disappears off of the pier. 
Others say that there's a woman that's dressed in all black that is in the very back window of the bus and she waves and smiles at you before it disappeared. Creepy. This one's not paranormal. We do got some more paranormal stories to get to, but this one involves a bus, so I thought I would bring that back up. In 2004, there was a charter bus. Now, this was being used by Amtrak as like a shuttle Mm -hmm. for people. And the bus was going along the bridge. It had five passengers in it. As it got to the top of the bridge, the driver had a heart attack and crumpled into a heap on the floor right beside the door. The bus is still going. And... Three of the passengers, they ran up to the front. Two of the women, they did everything they could, grab the steering wheel. They were doing everything they could. And the, one of the women's husband jumped in there to try to find the brake real quick and get a stop. Because obviously yeah. if it veered to the left, oh yeah, it would be into traffic, you know, depending on what side it was on. So one side, it was, but it was into the, uh, the concrete barriers and stuff. It was already into there scraping and all that stuff. They were able to stop it. And the uh, emergency crews came and got the driver. They took him to the hospital. He had a second heart attack and passed away. Oh, poor thing. They must have watched Speed. <laughs> That's how they knew to do the bus. Now, the most popular paranormal stories. Is that, did you say positive? Popular. Oh. I was getting excited. <laughs> the most popular paranormal sto- stories involve a young woman. Uh, most of the time, she's blonde. Most of the time, she's dressed in white. And these stories go all the way back to the 1960s. Most of them involve a blonde lady dressed all in white that looks like she's getting ready to jump off the bridge. Okay? hmm So much so that several calls come in to the authorities about it, to which they always check it out. And not only do they not find anybody ready to jump, they also never find a body. But this apparently happens... Several times a year. People no call kidding. and say, hey, they saw some man a bridge get ready to jump. And it's always the same description for the most part. So I wonder what the 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 people at the call center, where they're called, think about that. I don't know, because they can't ignore it. Well, no, you can't. Case. You cannot ignore it, but maybe that makes them a believer in ghosts. In other stories, there is a blonde woman who's barefoot, and she's hitchhiking at either end of the bridge, and she's extremely nervous. She gets in the car. The drivers try to, you know, calm her calm down, down a little bit, and in, in an attempt to calm down, calm down, they always kind of inadvertently look back at her or look over to her, and then they said that she's no longer in the vehicle and just completely disappears. Other people have picked up a woman in white, who only asks if they've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and then she disappears. No kidding. What's strange about most of these are that they are not drivers that are from Florida. They're passing through, so they wouldn't know the history or they wouldn't know the folklore or all that. So that's just these people, you know, if it was somebody from there, you could say, well, they've heard those stories, and they're just saying that, you know, but these people are not from the area. They don't know the story. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes it all the more amusing. Okay. We're going to take a quick break from our sponsor, BetterHelp, but then I've got a story that you are not going to believe. Tracy, we are once again proud to be sponsored by BetterHelp. So the question is, is there something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I know right now, like I said, COVID's going on. There's just a lot of things that uh, interfere with people in general. I mean, it could be everything from you've lost your job. It could be... You know, just 
financial worries right now. It could be any number of things. Yeah, I lost my job because of it. Absolutely. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. That's pretty quick. That is very quick. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in all areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime you want. You just send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekend video or phone sessions so you don't ever have to worry about uh, being in a, an uncomfortable you know, waiting room and sitting there yeah, and waiting course. for traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so that they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. See, that's what I like about it. If you're, if you're not comfortable maybe with who you're talking to, you get the opportunity to find somebody else, which I think it's very nice. I like that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Yeah. So if you're in that situation where you can't afford it, you, you've got some options. Exactly. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit BetterHelp.com slash hillbilly that's better h-e-l-p and join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional in fact so many people have been using better help that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states so if that's you're a counselor great. and you want to be uh, part of the better help group get a message special offers for hillbilly horror stories you're going to get 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com Slash hillbilly. This one is not paranormal, but it's my favorite story. So I saved it for last. And and keep in mind, when I say this is my favorite story, it's it's a horrible story. So I mean it's the most interesting. I don't mean it's like I take pleasure in this because when you hear it, you're gonna be oh my god, why why would you sicko? Yeah, yeah. So that's not the case. And so in 2005, there was a guy who. Supposedly he was a really good guy, but he was kind of a heavy drinker, and he lived alone in this little cheap motel, all right? He was going to McDonald's, and he crossed a four-lane highway about three miles from the bridge. On his way, his car is struck really hard by a Chevy Impala. So hard that the guy was ejected from the car, okay? Mm-hmm. And... When he did, his leg was severed. It landed on the concrete. And the rest of the man landed on the hood of the car that hit him. His head and shoulders went through the windshield. So I need you to picture this. I already did, and it's awful. So the car hits him. This guy flies out. Leg comes off. He lands on the hood of the car. And now his head and his shoulders are inside the vehicle. Oh, my gosh. The guy kept driving. What? He made it all the way three miles down the road to the bridge to the toll booth. And the young lady that was working the toll booth, she's like, oh, it's close to Halloween. That must be some kind of elaborate prank. Oh, my gosh. She she cannot believe that. She cannot think that, surely. Well, from probably where she was. But then she gets out there. And she sees the blood, and she realizes this is real. Inside the car, the car that hit this guy, was a 93-year-old man 
who had no clue he had even been in an accident. Oh, how could he not know? Well. Oh, my goodness. When asked about it, he assumed that the guy must have fell from the sky. So they take him to the hospital to get him checked out. They call his son, which, ironically enough, was actually lived out west, and he was already coming. He was en route to um, his dad because he said he realized his dad had Alzheimer's and or dementia. It was to the point to where he couldn't live by himself, and he was already coming towards the house from out west to pick him up and take him back home with him. Oh, bless his heart. And in the meantime, before he could get to him, this guy had already killed somebody in his car and not even realized it. Oh. Oh, my gosh. That breaks my heart. Get through this damn show already, will you? All right. I know I said this was going to be the last story, but I got a couple of quick ones I wanted to throw in there. In 1996, it was a clear day. Several witnesses from the bridge saw a small plane... The engine was sputtering, and it crashed into the bay at the Southern Causeway, but no debris, no plane, and no bodies were ever found, nor was there any planes reported missing in the area. But all kinds of people saw this happen. And you got to remember, you know, like, it's not like Tampa Bay's, you know, 300 feet deep like an ocean or so. It's just not that deep. All right, in 1997, I thought this was just more funny than anything and it's not really funny but five friends one of them was a bartender from fort lauderdale they decided that they were going to pull this elaborate prank they had video set up to film this and everything they were going to drive up to the top of the bridge and bungee jump off well, they just didn't really think about it i guess the way they should have so they get up to the top they drive a limousine they get to the top they jump out the guy gets out he hooks the cable to it they attach their little harnesses and they jump off the cable snapped. All five hit the water, dropped 70 some feet, hit the water, and they all sustained injuries, but every one of them made it. Thank Just, God. And it was all on video, which went viral. So uh-huh. go figure. They wanted some fame and they got some. Coming up, uh, after we get through the iTunes reviews and stuff, we have a cool little interview from Curtis. He's got some paranormal experiences. That involved uh, the haunts. He is at the Haunted Hotel up in Louisville, which had their grand opening last weekend. Yeah. So if you like that kind of stuff. But he also is, talks about some haunting, real hauntings inside these haunted uh, attractions. So we're going to do that right after the uh, after reviews. But first, we got something to give away to you guys. Tracy, we're going to get into some reviews in just a second. But before we do, Universal Studios has been so kind as to give us some more things to give away. Yeah, we're so giving awesome. away five digital copies of Alfred Hitchcock's original Psycho. Psycho. And the reason we're doing that is they're actually promoting here. The Alfred Hitchcock Classics Collection is available now on 4K Ultra HD Combo Pack with Blu-ray and digital code from Universal Pictures Home Entertainment. This collection includes for the very first time the original never released uncut version of Psycho. Oh my gosh, how exciting is that? Universally recognized as the master of suspense, the legendary Alfred Hitchcock directed some of the cinemas. Let me do that. University. 
Universally recognized as the master of suspense, the legendary Alfred Hitchcock directed some of the cinema's most thrilling and unforgettable classics. This collection includes four iconic films from the acclaimed director's illustrious career, including Rear Window, Vertigo, Psycho, and The Birds in stunning 4K resolution. How about awesome. that? All those are awesome. So obviously you got people like James Stewart and Grace Kelly, Anthony Perkins, Janet Lee, Tippi Hedren, Kim Novak, and Rod Taylor. That's a lot of, they were all big all names big times, back in the yeah. day. And the Essential Collection features hours of bonus feature as well as the original uncut version of Cycle for the first time ever. This collection with collectible disc book packaging includes hours of bonuses, features such as documentaries, expert commentaries, interviews, screen tests, and such more. So what we're going to do is I have posted on all of our social media the picture of what you're getting. And all you have to do is go and just put underneath of it you're interested and you'll be entered for a drawing for those five copies. Good for you guys. And remember, that's just we're just giving away five copies of Psycho, not the, the whole collection. But you can buy that today. Yeah, perfect. All right, Tracy, what do you got for us as far as uh, iTunes reviews and Patreon? Are you going to barf in your mouth? I think so. I've been sick for the last day and a half. So. I know you have, baby. All right. Um, for our iTunes, we have TJ Rohr, Mojo Lobster, B. Nelly, Mercier RN, and Zookeeper Lynn. Thank you guys for your awesome reviews. They were so nice, and we just love to see them. Um, for our Patreons this week, we have David Paquette. I think I hope I didn't say that right, honey. Chad Cummings. <laughs> Tanya and Alyssa. Thank you guys for your support. It means the world to us. You guys are amazing. And like we always say, keep the reviews coming because we love to read them. That's the best that's the best part for me anyway. So, before we get into the uh, quick interview we did with Curtis, just want to remind people we have 17 tickets left for Bobby Mackey. That's it. So go snag that plus if you want to buy some merchandise to have with you. Mhm. You want to go to our new store, same place you always went, but it's a new store. So things are priced different. I think it's better pricing. I think it's better quality. And they've even got masks there. So if you want to buy masks, you can load up for the COVID deal. <laughs> Which we're sick of. Yeah. But we can't wait to see you guys. We're so excited. Absolutely. Update on the book. Hopefully, it's possible, not for sure, that I actually may have copies at Bobby Mackey's. I but hope so. We'll, we'll see. So it's we're getting close. But we are going to, one thing I did find out, and I, might, I don't know if I said this last week or not, we are able to do pre-orders. And as soon as I'm able to do that, I will let you know. So I, I didn't think we were going to be able to do that, but we will. All right, real quick, I want to get in this interview, but I want to give a big thanks to Angela Wallingford for the Queen City is Haunted up in Cincinnati. She had us come out for a tour. It was awesome. I would advise anybody in that area to go take this tour. You will love it. We got to do a little investigation at Embry Theater at the end. Mm -hmm. And inside the Embry Theater, which is a cool place, Martin Luther King has spoke there. So we get to go back to the same uh, little dressing room that Martin Luther King used and Eleanor Roosevelt and a bunch of other famous people. So it was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. But inside the place, Tracy had a little bit of an experience. And I'm going to let her share that with you real quick. Well, I can finally say I have been touched. <laughs> we were by the way we were on the stage of this theater and man it is so cool 
like you like wanted to sing or something you know what i'm saying i can explain it it just was an awesome feeling this theater is not used for anything anymore i think they're going to use it up using it for like children's theater or something mm-hmm. but it's at so cool. one time in the early 1900s it was one of four theaters that were considered perfect acoustically yeah that was one was in Chicago, one was there, one was Carnegie Hall, mm-hmm. and I can't remember where they said the other one was, but there was only four in the entire country. Yeah, it was really cool. So a gentleman kind of led us on that tour, and he gave all the women uh, EMF detectors. Uh, yeah, and apparently there's this girl. She she might I think she goes by Jesse or Jessica one, mm-hmm. but every time they say her name, she responds somehow. Mm-hmm. So we went back into this one room, and I was kind of back in a corner, and I was, like, the guy was talking, but I was kind of talking to her as well. And I was like, hey, Jesse, are you here? And I don't know what all I was saying, all this stuff. Well, about that time, I was just, after I got done talking, I was standing there, and I guess it was her, pulled my hair, and so much so that it made my head fall back. And I was in shock. And my meter was crazy, wasn't it? It mm-hmm. was lit up like a Christmas tree. And I'm like, holy crap. And this one lady is like, well, you handled that way better than I would have. I was like, I think I was in shock. <laughs> I mean, it. I have never, ever had anything like that happen to me. It like it totally freaked me out. And, and needless to say, I was ready to go by that point. Because, yeah, she was not digging my pink hair. Or maybe she liked it and wanted to put it on her head. <laughs> I don't know, but I was ready to go. So that was that was pretty cool. It was a fun thing, but that's just man, I was just creeped out so bad by that because it was a creepy place in there, wasn't it? Yeah, it was creepy. Yeah, but if y'all ever do get a chance to go do that, it's really, it's a, it's a really nice place. It's real beautiful back there too. I mean, everything's just I don't know. Yeah, it's downtown Cincinnati. So it's, we got to go to the yeah. uh, Cincinnati Music Hall, which is like one of the top fifty most haunted places in the in the United mm-hmm. States, or actually in the world. But it was like it was so awesome. We've done a, a show on Patreon on that. Uh-huh. But man, to, to see that place in person, yeah, absolutely. And gorgeous. she was amazing. Yeah, Angela as a tour was awesome. Guide. Oh she's my gonna, gosh, we're gonna have Angela on the show here in a couple uh-huh. weeks. So she's a wealth of knowledge, best best tour guide I've ever had. Yep. For one of these city tours, and for to go on a tour, a walking tour of the city, and then end up doing like a little. Not an investigation, a full investigation, but we ended actually inside someplace doing a little investigation. So right. that's really cool. I've never been on a walking tour where you end up inside someplace yeah. doing part of an investigation. They said they had a nice little surprise for us at the end, and sure enough, they did. But she was amazing. She wasn't over the top. She was really full of knowledge and knew what she was talking about. And, you know, she made it fun. And, she, you know, I hope if you all ever go there, you get her to be the one that takes you around. Yep, if nothing else, call ahead of time and ask for it. Yeah, ask for it, definitely. You won't be disappointed. All right, guys, let's listen to Curtis real quick. Now, we're going to go ahead and say our goodbyes now, and we'll end with Curtis. But uh, we love you guys, and we'll see you soon. We love you guys. Have a blessed week. Hey, guys, we've got another Louisvillian in here. He's in the haunt industry. We've got Curtis Wilson out of Louisville. Uh, his mom has been on the show before. This is one of the first times we've actually had a father, or I should say uh, mother and son, uh, at separate times on the show, so really cool. Curtis, thanks for coming on. All right, thanks for having me. So the reason uh, reason we got you on here is you've got some stories from the haunt industry about some of the haunts that you've actually done that are really haunted, so I thought I'd let you tell share a few of those with us. Yeah, of course, I'm more than happy to. I've been 
doing uh, haunt acting for five or six years. I'm kind of hazy on it, but uh, I started when I was 15 at a place called 7th Street Haunt. It's no longer there, unfortunately. They uh, moved, but uh, these first couple stories kind of stem from there and some of the things that I ran into there. Um, first thing uh, about that building, it was an old tobacco warehouse, and it was all brick and wood, very solid, and a very uh, hot building. It was very hot in the summertime. I remember walking in there for auditions the first time, and I mean, I was just sweating bullets walking, not even in costume. And uh, I remember going through the hiring process and everything and just kind of feeling like maybe we're not completely alone, but I kind of ignored it. You know, I didn't want to seem like that weird guy that automatically assumed, you know, there was something there. Right. But uh, I got hired on there, and I started out being a victim. I was in like a uh, little saw table, and uh, it was supposed to be like I was getting cut in half. And in that room... There was always a feeling like there was somebody coming that would trip uh, the animatronics that would give me my cue. And I always thought it was the actors moving, but a lot of them would stay in the same place. So that would always happen a lot. That was a common occurrence because the uh, animatronics were always tripped off by weight, not uh, sensors. It was always like step pads. So you actually had to apply pressure to them. So I always thought that was weird, but I even ignored that. You know, I thought, oh, maybe, you know, they get used a lot throughout the night. So, you know, they malfunction. So I'm kind of going about my business. And, you know, season's moving along gradually. And uh, I end up getting, you know, kind of promoted to uh, doing my own thing. I get, like, my own little room. Uh, I get a uh, vortex tunnel. It's like one of those solid metal bridges. Uh, probably about, I wouldn't say more than 10 feet long, solid metal. And it had rails on both sides. You can hear anybody coming on and off of that. So I would work that room. My job was basically just to kind of guide people through it and scare them at the same time, but also kind of make sure nobody falls because it goes from that metal bridge to really kind of hand-built wooden steps to make sure, you know, nobody fell. But uh, my first experience was in that room. Um, I had been doing that room for maybe a couple nights, if that. This might have even been the first night. I really don't remember. But I remember that a group had just gone through, did the usual routine, nothing out of the ordinary. And I was sitting down on the lip where the... Uh, steps would start to get up on the bridge i was kind of like halfway between my room and the other room where there was a actress that was playing a voodoo witch and um all of a sudden i hear what sounds like steel-toed boots and keys jiggling coming up the wooden stairs and then they're coming pretty quick and they start rattling the bridge a little bit so, of course, you know, that piques my interest, and I kind of snap around and get up to see if maybe it's security or maintenance or somebody important uh, to tell me something, and there's nobody there. Uh, and I get hit with the most bone-chilling cold air straight in my face, 
all the way around to the back of my neck. And it gave me goosebumps through my outfit. And my outfit was a ghillie suit. And I had rubber gloves on to make it look like I had lizard hands. So I was pretty unnerved by that. And at that point, I was like, okay, there's definitely a uh, presence here. Uh, I don't know what to make of it, though. But I don't tell anybody about it because I don't want it to seem like I'm nuts. (laughs) So I go a couple more weekends, and I end up becoming an actor that filled in a lot of spots. Like if they needed me in one room I would do it and then the next night if they needed me halfway across the haunt in another room I would do that too so one night I ended up being in like a mine shaft room that was completely pitch black I mean it was almost so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face um, and it had a really narrow hallway that you would walk through and my job was to kind of pop out at the front scare people and I would bolt in the dark around the corner to this little like pocket that they built that looks like a little kind of crudely made guard or a mine shack and there was a little drop panel that I would use to scare people there so I try to get two scares in one so I was doing that throughout tonight and uh, nothing really came up that bothered me uh, kind of had a weird feeling I was being watched, but that was always like a kind of regular feeling, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. at that uh, haunt. You know, I kind of just got used to it at that point. It didn't really unnerve me or anything. Uh, but at some point during the night, I went and did the same routine I had been doing, and I was going to put my drop panel back up when I heard the same thing. I heard steel toe boots clicking on the concrete floor and keys jingling. And it didn't really click in my mind that it might have been what I ran into the first time. I thought it was still staff for security or somebody important to tell me, you know, hey, I need to fix your drop panel or, you know, there's something wrong or I'm just coming through to check on you. So I go to open up my door and I should have met him head on. And the sound stopped right at my door as I opened it and I get that same exact feeling of just blisteringly cold air hitting me right in the face. It's like in the middle of winter time when the wind is blowing probably a good little bit and it hits you like right across the face and almost cuts you in half. Some that's the best way I can describe it. And that happened right in the middle of September where it's blisteringly hot. Um, And I was wearing a jumpsuit with black boots and a um, metal helmet with really thick uh, airbrush makeup on there. If anybody that's done haunting for any kind of uh, period of time knows that airbrush makeup just seals in your uh, pores almost, so it makes it just blisteringly hot. And uh, that really just, that did it in for me. At that point, I was like, okay, I need to kind of put feelers out there and tell somebody that there's something here. You know, I want to see if maybe I'm not the only one. So I kind of kept that in the back of my mind. And it was about a week or two later, I uh, was talking to an actress that had been there for a little while. 
And she was like, oh, you must be talking about the security guard. I said, what security guard? And she went on to tell me that there was a security guard that was at my boss's former haunted house, Psychomania, that had passed away on the property due to a heart attack. And that when Psychomania unfortunately burned down, he probably came over to 7th Street because my boss had taken a lot of uh, props and whatever he could salvage, really, unfortunately, from the uh, fire. So I think he was attached to a lot of the pieces that uh, were in that haunt that were original psychomania pieces. And he was probably a pretty protective person in life, so he kind of just continued that. Now, I didn't get an overwhelming feeling of, like, dread or anger or anything unnerving. It was more just like, hey, I'm right here in front of your face, just checking on you. Almost like that. Scared me at the time, but if it had happened to me now, I probably wouldn't have been nearly as unnerved. Uh, I've had plenty of other things happen. Um, probably the most unnerving thing that had happened to me at that haunt in my two years of working there was the little pantry door is what everybody called it. It was a vintage, possibly even antique pantry door that you would find in like traditional farmhouses across the country and probably the early 1900s turn of the century, maybe a little bit later, but it was about four and a half feet, five feet tall, solid wood. And it was kind of like an off-white brown almost from age. And it was used kind of like a little hideaway pocket for either actors to sit in or, you know, storage in the haunt, you know, if you had an extra speaker or something. And it was in a part of the haunt that was supposed to be like a house facade. So that was like in a hall, like going towards a uh, bedroom. So you would go down like a really kind of small hallway and then you would see that little door and then make an immediate sharp left to the bedroom. And uh, there was plenty of other vintage things that were in there that had come from, you know, garage sales, estate sales, maybe even, you know, secondhand, handy downs. But none of that really stuck out to me. There's plenty of pictures, books, you know, a lot of personal items too. But that door, for some reason, always kind of, you know, jutted out to me. And I always, you know, made sure that it was shut. I don't know why. I always had the overwhelming feeling to shut it because it was always open for some reason, but it wasn't all the way open. It was usually about a quarter of an inch or about three inches open, you know, a little gap, noticeable gap. And um, it got to a point that, you know, I would just notice it always being open. And I would constantly shut it. And one day, my uh, boss at the time saw me shut it, and he said, well, why do you uh, shut it? It's always going to be open. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he said, I didn't ever tell you the story about that door. And I said, no. He said, that was a psychomania prop that I got from another haunt that I did many years back that actually came out of an old farmhouse. And he said, when my building burnt down or something along that lines they were renovating or it was either before or after it burnt down 
uh, it was in a wood pile. And he said, I had a psychic medium go to that pile and dig it out from about the middle of it to the bottom. She said, he said that she had felt drawn to that piece of wood in particular, that that door had a spirit attached to it. And she had told him that it was the spirit of a little girl that was murdered in that farmhouse and that she was attached to that door because she was hiding behind it when she had been killed. And that medium told him to save that door and use it in any capacity, but be careful with it. Don't let it get ruined or damaged. And uh, he made good on that word. He popped it up and always made sure, you know, no actors hit it or anything. And uh, it would always be open just a tiny bit. And uh, eventually it got to the point, I think it bothered other actors, because he put a, like, deadbolt lock on it to try to, you know, actually keep it shut. But every single time, like clockwork, the door would always be open, just same amount, only by a few inches, enough to notice, but not all the way open to where you'd be skeptical of it. And um, I think firmly, I don't know if um, many people remember, I'm sure they do, my mom telling the story of the little spirit there that, ran down the hallway with her. It was little kid's feet that scared her. I'm pretty sure that was the same spirit because she, I think, roamed a lot throughout both attractions because there was two separate attractions. And I've heard kid's feet run on the concrete before um, when there was no kids around. But that didn't really bother me. That's, you know, kind of almost like a playful, simple spirit. But those were the big stories from when I worked at 7th Street, for well, sure. And, and you're working currently at a, uh, a pretty well-known haunt up in Louisville. You want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, of course. I um, am one of the actors at the Haunted Hotel. This is our 30th consecutive season. Uh, we are literally less than a block from Churchill Downs, and with everything going on, we're still open, and we are more than happy to accommodate people, uh, especially with everything going on. Uh, we're just happy to have a season. We just had our opening weekend this past weekend, actually, and uh, it was a great success. Um, I've been there for going on either four years, or maybe a little bit more. And uh, I've always been very curious about the history of the actual building because you can definitely tell from where my room starts, which is actually the very first room, all the way up to the grand staircase that we have that you have to go up to get upstairs, all the way to kind of about halfway upstairs is all is like an all original building, what it used to be. And... Uh, I've always been very curious because I've heard it's had a very sorted past. Not terrible, really, just very different things have happened up there. You know, maybe a few bad things, but just a lot of energy. Uh, I really wouldn't consider us to be genuinely haunted by anything. Um, I think there's just been a lot of emotion there. I mean, we've been running for 30 years. And before that, you know, we were a different things, a multitude of things before we were a haunt, I'm sure. So I think it was more, you know, there's a definite presence of like, I think, residual energy of where people have been scared 
people have cried. People have been angry. Um, you know, we invoke a lot of emotion. You know, just depends on what the person is feeling. Because we're trained to handle just about anything, but we're trained to scare more than anything. And uh, I think that uh, if you come to visit, you'll definitely have not just a fantastic experience with the actors, but uh, with the building itself. You know, I think it's all a good, solid property to visit. I'll agree with that. It's, it is one of the few haunts that I've ever been in where you actually do go upstairs and downstairs and it, I mean it is an old building that has been made into a haunt unlike where you go to some of these places like that are warehouses and stuff like that that they've made the haunt inside this actually is a house which makes it very cool yeah and um, I know space wise it's a little bit constricting on some things that we can do but we work with it and we work with it very well uh, we are a little bit smaller than, you know, a lot of places that can, you know, and will do warehouses and, you know, bigger properties. But I feel like, especially this year, we have a wonderful cast and uh, very experienced. I don't think anybody in our whole group of people this year feels like they do not belong. I can definitely say that they're very positive people. They're very sincere they're very genuine and they care about what they do and uh i i think this past weekend was a good you know premonition of what's going to follow for the rest of the year so if you do decide to come at any capacity you will definitely not be disappointed uh the only thing i know we're known for being a full contact haunt but with everything going on this year we're definitely not touching we promise that uh, anybody that is not wearing an actual full-on mask to cover their face to make sure you know you have that nice barrier um, is going to be wearing a surgical mask or some kind of face covering to make sure you know we're following guidelines. Which you know, not a big problem because I mean, a lot of us wear masks anyway. But what we will take away with touching this year and that kind of interaction, we're going to trade up with a lot of, um, vocal, vocal interaction. Um, and I think that there will be very, very few people that are disappointed. If any, I mean, there's always a few that don't like, you know, anything really. And that's understandable. Had a lot of people say that they don't like our style, and that's that's okay. It's not meant for everybody, but we I feel like we have been around long enough that we're a staple. Uh, and I mean, especially with uh, a couple attractions unfortunately not being open this year or no longer being around, uh, there's definitely a uh, little bit more of a narrow market, and there's still other great attractions that are around us, and like our general area. So if not us, there is, you know, other places that aren't too far off from us, you know. All right, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, and uh, I'll see you soon. I'll be definitely be down there to see you. All right. Thank you for having me on. All right, Curtis. Thanks. All right. Thank you.